0: You've heard us talk about how much we love Zencaster. We've told you about how awesome their podcasting platform is, how easy it is to host, record, and publish adventures and collecting with their all in one web app. Well, now they're giving you, our listeners, the opportunity to
1: support us and the nearly 30,000 other podcasts powered by Zencaster.
0: That's right. Now you can invest in the podcasts you love through Zencaster's crowdfunding campaign.
1: For as little as $100, join a community of other investors who seek to help Zencaster and independent podcasters like
0: us succeed. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to WeFunder.com slash or click the link in our episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. That's
1: WeFunder.com dot com forward slash z e n c a s t r.
2: C-A-S-T-R-Bobs and Dads! Adventures in collecting is about toys, but it might not be for your children, especially if you don't like words like or or. H-t-hole.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Adventures in Collecting. Hi, Dave. We are back. Uh, episode 102. I don't know how long I'm going to keep saying the number of the episode at the beginning of the episode. It's just still exciting to me that, that we hit triple yeah. points. So that's fun. Um, but uh, in, in, a, in a long uh, history of the show, uh, Dave, we have a guest.
0: Yeah, Um, Eric's not going to bury the lead.
1: No, no, no. No, I am not. Uh, So since 2001, Super 7 has been producing collectibles that embody the aesthetics and energy of its founder, Brian Flynn. From original creations like Mummy Boy and The Worst to products from popular licenses like Disney, G.I. Joe, and the Ninja Turtles, and more, Super 7 continues to grow its iconic reaction line, Modern Ultimates line and uh, And a slew of other things that they're constantly producing. So joining us this week on the pod, we are super excited to welcome Super Seven founder and owner Brian Flynn. Brian, welcome to it. Hey,
2: everybody. How you doing?
1: We're good, man. How about good. you?
2: Uh, I am doing fine. I am uh, let's see. I did the race to pick up kids, Race to take them home, Race to pick up a snack to eat it here before getting on the podcast. So, hopefully, you don't you don't get too much of the, the post dinner, you know, errs coming along.
1: Oh, we're we're all too familiar with those. So yeah, as as, yeah, as life
0: as, finds a way.
1: <laughs> as two as two dudes who suffer from acid reflux, we all were, were there with you with the with the errs.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, for sure.
1: Before we before we jump into uh, into the show itself, you know, as this is a pod about uh, collecting. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you collect and some of your recent pickups.
2: What do I collect? Um, that that gets real tricky because it sort of gets to a certain point at a certain age. Like, what don't you collect if you're a collector? And it's always about the parameters you're trying to force upon yourself. And then when you put the parameters on this one thing, then you start collecting something that has nothing to do with it because then that, that's not inside the parameters. And so it's, uh, it's tricky. So... Uh, if we talk about specific collecting, I don't know I'm not we're not gonna do the wayback machine and talk about baseball cards and and stuff like that when you know comic books when you were a kid these days, you know, I started trying to refine and recollect my action figures in the summer of nineteen ninety one uh, being that uh that was right when a f n and all those things started coming out like right after that, so it You know, you could finish your whole line of Star Wars for two bucks a pop or a dollar figure in a year or two without too much trouble. So collecting all the action figures wasn't that much, uh, that difficult. And then it was, I had a couple of the five inch Shogun Warriors as a kid and I knew kids that had the big Shogun Warriors. So then it was trying to find the Shogun Warriors. In 1991 was also when Bondi started making Godzilla figures again. Uh, Popey had made them, Bullmark made them Marison and Bullmark, then Popey, then Yamakatsu. But it wasn't until 91. And when I saw the Japanese Godzilla vinyl figures, I was like, oh shit, this is the Godzilla I always wanted. And that sort of opened a whole window into a whole nother kind of toy collecting, which was Japanese vinyl toy collecting. And that sent me down that path because I'd kind of completed, you know, regular action figures. It was like Clash of the Titans, have it black hole, have it. Cause you could find it and it was cheap. I mean, you could still walk into Walmart's and uh, Toys R Us's and find stuff sitting on shelves at that point. And, um, then along the way, you know, I collected punk rock records ever since I was got into punk when I was 14 I never got rid of any of that. So I had those, collect skateboards, I collect golden age, uh, mostly pre-code horror and sci-fi comics. Uh, Good lord, there's a million other little things, but that's that, that's an overview. I don't know.
1: Well, it's it's always fun. You're you know you're a good follow on Instagram for many reasons, but but one of the things that I know I, I love when you know I'm I'm on our account is uh, when you do post those punk records because some of them are just like like some of those uh, those 45s and those seven inches that you post are awesome. They're super yeah. cool.
2: It it it's in that weird zone where like you get. With a lot of those collect with a lot of collecting, you know, you do it for long enough. The only things left are the preposterous things that you never assume you'll be able to own. And if you've been doing it long enough and you've been nice long enough, when the people that do own those preposterous things decide to let them go, they usually choose the homes that they go to. And then you get offered things that you would never be able to track down or afford on your own. And um, these last couple of years, there's been a few of those where I'm just like, I can't believe I, I own one of these. Like, And it's because other people that had them were like, okay, I'm going to get rid of it. And I'm talking to two or three different people and who who has the wherewithal to put together a deal to make it worthwhile not necessarily top dollar but just finding the right home for it um you know like all this stuff the high end gets uh hard to justify so you can't unless you're those independent wealthy kind of folks you just have to kind of the network will bring it to you and for so much of that it's like i have enough if i don't ever get another record i'll be fine like I'm more than happy with what I have and that I think that sort of allows the opportunity for some of that other stuff to show up where if I was hunting for it and dying for it and driving people crazy, I I'd, I'd probably never get it.
0: I feel like that's the case no matter what, when you're, when you're looking for anything, it's like, does this fit into, am I below the ceiling for this? And you know, did I just kind of back into it in a way?
2: Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, like I, if you're really deep on anything and like you're talking to like the heavy guys that are really deep into it too. Like I, I, I don't know what either of you two collect obviously personally. So maybe g- give me one thing.
1: All right. I uh, let's, let's do Hasbro WWF figures just for an instance. All right.
2: All right. I said, now you're going to make me look stupid as I'm trying to remember them all. Cause I'm going to go back to all the LJN or something. LJN
1: <laughs> like that. that works too. Do LJN. LGN.
0: Yeah, that works. Fine. Yeah.
2: And, and, and someone's now going to also make fun of me for not knowing every version. Like I remember when those figures were coming out and everything, it was all about the dusty roads with the yellow, with the black spots. Like that was, that was the figure to have like, same thing. Like that, one, you know, and I, like I said, I don't know those prices well enough, but if, if that was still the one to have, and it's still proportionally much more expensive than the rest. Then, usually, if you've got and you're talking to your friends that collect that stuff and they've got it, you might not have it. And you've known these guys for 10, 12, 20 years. When they go to get rid of it, they're not putting it on eBay. They're coming back to that circle of friends that they have that also love this stuff and say, Hey, look, it's time for me to get rid of it for any number of other reasons. I'm paying for my kids' college. I'm, you know, we're going to add on to the house. The IRS has got me. Uh, I'm living on the streets, whatever it may be, but then they piece and parcel it out to their friends. It doesn't ever come out publicly. And so for most of those collections, those pieces at the end come out of that friend network that you have, not because you've got a paycheck. So that was the analogy I was trying to make. And I think that I took that car and drove it right off the cliff into the canyon.
1: Not at all, actually. I No, we got there. Something very similar happened to me recently. Not like something that was super, super, super rare, you know, upper echelon, but something that has been out of production for a little while now and goes for, on the aftermarket, you know, a a pretty hefty price. It's a Dragon Ball Z, SH figure, arts figure, uh, Vegeta. And uh, one of my friends was downsizing his collection, was like, don't pay aftermarket for that. And, you know we, we worked out a deal together and it was great now. And he knows that it's, uh, it's, it's in a happy home.
2: That, that, and that is some of the best parts about all of this. Cause then it is like, you have to be realistic that there is money involved, but it's not just about the money. It's about the friends and the relationships you have and the broader sort of I hate to say collecting scene, but if we all come out of the punk rock scene or whatever the the scene, but it's still part of the scene. it's a friend group that supports each other and uh doesn't take advantage of each other but also helps each other out. so it's like, oh, this is normally supposed to be six hundred. I bought it when it was new for sixty five you know three fifty cool, like I still made out like a bandit, you got it for a steal. We're great, and you're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like, so going backwards to the original thing with all this stuff when it's like those records you're talking about, when it's like, same thing, my copy of the Necro's Sex Drive, which they only pressed 100 of, and not all 100 survived. You know, it's first Touch and Go record, first Necro's record, it's a great record, plus it's one of the rarest records ever made in punk. And it's like, I didn't get it because I was able to buy it. I got it because a friend that had it since it came out when they were finally deciding to get rid of some of their records were like, I know you need this one. So,
0: you know, we, we talk about punk rock and, uh, super seven has always had those DIY punk roots. Um, what's it like to have grown now to work with legendary bands, um, legendary punk bands, as well as bands in other genres.
2: You know, it, it's been a surprisingly easy thing. When we first started, I was very, I didn't know if anyone would care, but, um, it started off actually with friends of mine. So with Gorilla Biscuits. So for anyone that is listening, that's not familiar with Gorilla Biscuits, you can already laugh at their name. It's okay. So we'll get that part out in the open. Uh, they are a New York hardcore slash straight edge band that came out in the late eighties. Um, and that was like the band of my peer group, if you will. Um, So when I got into punk and hardcore around 83, 84 ish, you know, everyone was from the generation before me. So if you want to talk about punk rock generations, you can talk about the transitionary proto years of 77 to 79, but American punk rock really doesn't come into bloom. Starting in 71, hardcore about the same time by 80. So 79 to 85, you sort of have generation one then 85 to 89 slash 90 is generation two. But even for those that got into it in 83, 84, 85, 86, you're still mostly hearing generation one bands and the generation two stuff really hasn't kicked up and it really didn't start kicking up until, you know, I would say 86, 87, that those bands in generation two really started changing the scene into their own image. And of that, the New York straight edge scene was very much sort of, uh, where I came out of. And I, I say that as with an asterisk being that I was growing up back and forth between Texas and Florida. And then in the summertime, I would go to New York and see my friend, Chris Janicek, who lived uh, just outside New York city, uh, in Nassau. And we'd take the train into the city. Uh, those were, all those early rev bands and stuff, like as that stuff was coming out, as the demo tapes were coming out, or we would get those, We, my friends up there would tape WNYU off the radio and mail me the tapes. Uh, so when those records came out, they very much felt like our friends, even though I technically didn't know them at that time. That was our peer group. They were our age and they were doing this and they were coming from the same point of view that we were and it felt very familial. And then so when Grilla Biscuits came through Florida in 89 on the Start Today tour, uh, I met them there. They stayed for a week in Florida with uh, Trevor Silmser from Awake uh, and just went all over. They were like, whatever, we're in Florida, we're going to take a vacation, you know, go to the beach and stuff. And so I met them there and then years and years later, when we were making final figures uh, at Super 7, I just thought it would be really cool. One day I was like, you know, the cover, the drawing of the gorilla on the 7-inch is almost in the exact same proportions as the fight figures that we're making in conjunction with Secret Base in Japan. Once again, if you're not familiar with the fight figure scene, you can Google up Secret Base and then put in You know, the skull brain, the skull bee, the the ghost fighter, robot fighter, some of those that I designed for them, the skull wing that Puss had designed. And Gorilla Biscuits fit right into that. So I just I knew that Civ had collected toys in the past because in the late 80s, if you wanted to get good Rev stuff, you could trade them G.I. Joe figures for toys. They had a flyer that came in the some of the early seven inches and said this. This is the toys we're looking for, G.I. Joe, Batman, Superman stuff. Wow. You could actually trade for limited pressings of record (laughs) with with toys. So, uh, you know, on a flyer, I just sort of emailed him uh, because we had mutual friends. And I said, hey, this is who I am. This is where I come from. We've met in these points in the past. You know, you're not going to remember me, but, you know, this is what we've met in the past. And he was like, oh, this sounds fun. This sounds cool you know I'm I'm into it and that it wasn't any more complicated than that and then once we started talking and talking on the phone it was the same thing like although we've met briefly in passing in year you know many many years ago as an adult as we start talking it's like okay we're from the same time frame the same scene and we think about things the same way like oh I know you even though I don't know you and so it was very very quick and easy and then you know, I didn't know if it was going to work or not. You know, you're talking about Japanese vinyls expensive to make for clarification. We're not talking about records here. We're talking about toys, Japanese vinyl toys. Um, and you know, I didn't know what would happen on the collector side once we started making it because I knew what the Japanese toy collector would be like, Oh yeah, cool. $50 for a figure. That's normal. And you know, this is, you know, we're talking 13, 14 years ago. Yeah. You know, uh, But for the punk rock guy, like, whoa, whoa, you know, he's having a heart attack. Uh, But it actually sold really well. And once it started going, people really got into it. And that sort of kind of gave us the confidence to start, well, if grill Biscuits worked, who else could work? And we just, we didn't overthink it. We just said, what do we think would be neat or fun to do? Let's throw that against the wall and see if it sticks. And for the most part, everybody's been, kind of excited about it. And I mean, that's the basic premise of super seven as a whole was just to make this. If we made the stuff we wanted as collectors, there's probably people that grew up on the same stuff that wanted the same stuff. Uh, but you never a hundred percent know, especially when you're like, okay, I know Godzilla and I know what they'll buy from that. And I know what they're going to buy from Thundercats and I know what they're going to buy from GI Joe. Now I'm going to make, you know, agnostic front <laughs> uh, is, is that are, are those are still enough people going to show up to this party to make it worth our time you know kind well, of thing so. the one that
1: really got me and it's it's still it's one of my so, so I, i'm a i'm a huge descendants fan um and like <laughs> when you guys initially teased that milo was coming i i actually like It's one of those things where I guess the saying is, I didn't know I needed a figure of that until you told me that you were making a figure of that.
2: That's kind of actually how a lot of we think about it, too. It's like, make the invisible. It's like, because there's so much stuff where people, if I say, oh, what do you want from G.I. Joe? People just start checklisting what's already been made and going, well, you can make a variation of this and you can make a variation of this. It's like, I'm a little less interested in that and more interested in what's the thing you haven't even considered from G.I. Joe? Like the PSA figures when we made the PSA figures, like, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Or, or what's the that. one that you guys just announced? The MP, right? The the Joe yeah. MP is coming. Like it. it it's just it, it's it really is uh, like uh, like especially with the 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 music stuff. Like uh, like okay, like there's there's you know some of the properties you work like you work with Ghost and like they if, if you were gonna say you know the top two currently active most toyetic bands it would probably be Ghost and like Kiss because they're still kicking around. But the fact that like Milo and like the thing, the stuff, the figures that you did with uh, with with Rancid, the, the, the Lars figure, skeleton, you know, and, yeah. and, like the, and the wolf, it, it's just so clever to see not only those figures get, you know, come off of an album cover, but also seeing them in 3D. Like, you know, I would mm-hmm. I, I would have never pictured what Milo would look like in three D. You know, like it's just it's he's a pencil drawing, but like it's yeah so it's just so surreal. Him and his little cup of coffee. Love it. Yeah. It's bonus yeah that talent.
2: one that one surprisingly we tried for years. It took a lot of convincing because, you know, rightly so, lots of these bands don't want to be viewed as selling out. They don't want to be viewed as forcing unnecessary merchandise on their customers. So they get very leery of things that are not sort of like in the stable, like, Oh, you want to make a sticker? You want to make a t-shirt you want to make a poster, like make a record. Like once you get past that, it starts to get, yeah. I don't know. How are people going to react to that? And so it took a good bit of convincing. You know, I would say that Chris Sherry, who does a lot of the, not a lot these days does all of the descendants artwork. Uh, Chris had a lot to do with it. He helped really push that through and kind of helped get everybody on board for took a couple years of talking to people to really get them on board. And then, uh, translating that into 3d, I think the head part was a little tricky, you know, but, uh, the body was actually pretty easy to put together. You know, uh, he had been drawn full body a few times by Chris and, you know, Bill and Milo had some specific thoughts about making sure the pants were high water enough that he looked like a nerd. And, you know, just sort of figuring out how that head turned into a 3d item took a little bit of work, but you know, once it got going and once they saw it and, and and it's, it's not unusual to them for most of these bands, once they see the fans reaction to the toys, And they see how much like when they're doing a a signing or something and how many of them show up with the toys and they're so excited about the toys, then they're like, oh, now I get it. Like maybe I didn't get it because I didn't play with that or I don't understand why I should be a toy. But once they see how much the fans are excited about it, then we get the email like a a week later, like, what else are we going to (laughs) make? And It's like, Uh all right. All right. Let's go
1: we're going to do glow in the dark hypercafium spazinate. That's what we're going to do yeah. next.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, that said, this is the last of the Milo's because after this, it's kind of like, we're, we're, where else do you really go?
1: Ultimate yeah. Milo.
2: No, Ultimate <laughs> Milo. <laughs> he comes with although, real tears. He comes with real coffee that, actually.
0: Although this one is the one I'm most excited about. Cause that's the, uh, they, uh, Came around to a record shop in New Jersey, and that's when I met them. So wow. I have that album signed, See, and yeah. and
1: I do too because because you you got that because I went. Yeah. <laughs> that was my birthday
2: gift <laughs> because so, uh, we've met before. Yeah. So so we've
1: talked about you know uh, reaction you know quite a bit, and we and we just talked about me. You know, just mentioned Ultimates, but you know when you're when you're looking at not just necessarily bands, but really any any of the brands, any of the kind of licenses you work with. What, what makes something qualify to be a reaction figure or an ultimate figure? Like how is that decision made? Are there certain qualities that you look for?
2: Um, I I think the first quality is just, you know, will this translate well into plastic? Like not, you know, not every cool killer drawing would turn out to be a, a cool piece of plastic. Uh, Maybe that's a gross oversimplification of it, but it's, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, things where, let me back up. A thing that I use inside here is like Van Gogh's Starry Night is an epic painting, but it's a shitty coffee mug, (laughs) you know? And it's like, there's, there's an appropriateness of the content to the medium that you're trying to express it in. Not everything is meant to be in every format. So when we're talking about stuff, it's like, how does that translate to toy? Is it playable? Does it make sense? Does it, you know, you know, there's plenty of people listening. They'll be like, well, fucking reaction figures you can't play with. They only have five POA. And it's like, if you're my age, five POA is so much better than 12 POA. Like five POA is by far and above my favorite articulation. And like, We can all debate, but that's why we make ultimates. So we don't, you don't have to, you don't have to yuck my yum. Let me have my five POA, me and my boys over here like that. And then I'll make it an ultimates over here for you with all the articulation and the bells and whistles. And you can have that. But, uh, you know, a lot of it is just appropriateness. Doesn't make sense when you see it like that. And there's some things that work really well translated into 3d and there's some things that just. They just don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to explain it better than that, other than that works really great in another format, but maybe not as a toy. And you that, sort of see the same thing with statues. Like, that'll make a great statue, but it doesn't, If once you try to break that into articulation figure out how it moves, like, it's not going to work anymore. It's going to look, look awful.
1: Now, are are there certain things, so like, you know, to that point, we've seen things like you know the fiend, like Eddie, uh, um,
0: I'm, they live, they live, Pee Wee Herman, that.
1: right? We've seen a bunch of these characters in reaction form. Is there, is there sometimes kind of like a limitation to the the use of the license? Like you know, these are just going to be reaction figures, or like, do you make a reaction figure and go, wow, this you know really you know, surprised us how well it sold, like we should consider doing an ultimate Pee Wee Herman or Eddie figure.
2: There's, there's two sides to it. So one, yes, there's, there's very clearly that we get sometimes where something we make that we're not expecting just goes bananas. Like all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, I I was not expecting that. Then, then the follow-up question very much is, all right, well, if that worked in reaction, I wonder if people will want it in ultimates. With Ultimates, there's usually a couple scenario that we use to sort of determine what makes more sense in Ultimates. Sometimes it's the age of the franchise. So if it's a much younger franchise like Power Rangers, um, that customer is more akin to knowing, uh, and I'm, I'm stepping on my words again, trying to figure out the right way to say it, but you know, they're more in the mindset and the playability factor from what they had as expecting something that would obviously some the figures that they had weren't ultimate level, but that they've moved on into that. Okay. Going backwards into things like uh, power, you know, reaction for Power Rangers is much more of a regression for that c- collector of that age. Some of them like the stylistic simplicity of it and the affordability of it. But, you know, newer and newer licenses lend themselves more and more towards ultimates. The other thing is, the, the reality is when you're talking about ultimates, there's a stark difference in units we have to sell to cover over the cost to get these things made. So, we can get away with a lot of stuff in the reaction scale that selling that same quantity at the ultimate scale would be disastrous. Um, and I say this all the time and no one believes me and no one listening will believe me again, but trust me, we make far less of this stuff than you think we do. And you all can sit here and do the math and talk about this and that, and you'll come up with your numbers. I can guarantee you they're all high and wrong. (laughs) Right. It, it, and I, I phrase it this way, not negatively, which is you know, a bunch of people that collect and you talk to them all online and you meet up with them maybe on the weekends or you see them at Target at, you know, as soon as doors open at seven in the morning, doing your, you know, mall walk real quick back to the toy section to see what got restocked. Um, the reality is, the rest of your life, everyone you work with, everyone you meet, your relatives, except in your case, <laughs> you know, none of these people collect toys or care and 99.9% of the people you will meet in your life do not care. So while your view that this collector market is huge and massive and everywhere and they're making millions of these things is wholly wrong. <laughs> so, so going back to that, it's like, When something gets upgraded to an ultimate, you know, we've got to have a lot of confidence that we can hit certain manufacturing uh, thresholds that we don't have to hit if it's a um, reaction figure. And at the same time, or we go into it knowing that there's going to be at least two or three releases of it, you know, um, trying not to give away any secrets, of course, but obviously, you know, the Tsarface, you know, ultimate came out and we're going to do that. There's there's a good chance you're going to get, you know, a Tsarface noir in the future. You know, because people are going to want that, but that we're sort of hedging our bets that between the two colorways, then we'll have enough of the units cuz we won't have enough just with a single release.
1: And that's still a very like, you know, a- we hear it all the time. We see it all the time in comments and everything, you know, reuse and repaints. But like at the end of the day, you know, going back to like Japanese vinyl toys, like different colorways and, you know, like that's part of the, the way that it works. Like that's, that,
2: that, that, that's exciting to me. I think there's other people that view it as, you know, there's a, a, a backup like that. If you're talking about Godzilla collectors, like there are Godzilla collectors that love, the bullmark Godzilla like me. I love it. It's so wow. S- the style and the way it's sculpted is amazing. And there's a whole bunch of people will be like, that's not even fucking Godzilla. Don't <laughs> look anything like him. And the, you know, and they get really excited when they can see every scale sculpted. They, they get into You see it really with robot guys, especially like there's guys that are like, I like robots because they're fun and fantastical. And then there's the majority of robot guys are, I am analytical by nature and I appreciate the technicality in these robots. So the more stages of transformation, the more accurate, you know, the smokestack is on the back the more I'm excited about it versus a guy that's like, I want this robot to look crazy. So I imagine it flying over and smashing a building. They're very two different mindsets and two different collectors going backwards to colorways is, you know, there's people like me that come out of variant hunting on vintage figures. When you go to Japan, when I really got into Japanese vinyl, when they made this stuff for kids, the vinyl figures, there was never any concept that was supposed to be accurate. They were like, what's going to catch a kid's eye? So they they sculpted all the characters kind of cute, and they made them in bright colors. And if they ran out of a color one day, they just use whatever they had the next day. So you can find tons of paint variants on vintage vinyls, tons of them. And they're not artificially manufacturing things to make you buy two. It's just like, oh, we ran out of blue, use green. Oh, we ran out of green, I don't know, use red. Okay, we got green back in stock, we'll go back to green. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to any of it other than they just used what was available and they made them brightly colored for kids. So for me, it was super cool to have this lineup of figures and they're all in varying shades And just whacked out colors like Hedera, the smog monster from Godzilla is gray slash charcoal. The toy is bright yellow and the variant is pink. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Like (laughs) fuck. Yeah. You know, you will give me a pink Hedera with metallic green spray and red highlights with black accents. I'll take that all day. That's so cool. So for me, coming back to making action figures, I really like making variants and paint spins because it's fun to me to have a shelf full of these things. But there's a lot of people that you can hearken all the way back to like when McFarlane figures were hitting the stands and they'd be like, oh, they made a paint variant on this one. They're just trying to get me make it, buy it twice And they're angry about it because they want to check off the list and be done. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that, but I I keep trying to tell them like you buy the normal one. These other ones you don't have to worry about. Like I'm making these for a different collector. It doesn't mean you're incomplete if you don't have the glitter one or the glow in the dark version. But if you're a guy that loves that stuff, you do want them all.
1: That's why I love that, that when you guys did the blind box, uh, reaction xenomorphs because it was because oh, yeah. it was like i literally don't care what's in this like i don't care what color i get because it's just gonna be a fun like I, I ended up with the the red one with the translucent red head but
2: like how badass is that translucent red yeah. alien it's so cool and, and it's you like, would never get that any other way and that's the part to me that gets excited about when we made glitter aliens i made blood splattered aliens like fuck yeah give them to me i think we made like and- Nineteen colorways of the alien over time. Yeah, there's a there's and a there's the clear orange glitter one. How <laughs> cool is that?
0: And that reminds me more of like the the aliens arcade game or like the you know any of the old toys anyway. So like, yeah, why not? They they made orange ones back in the day. Like, yeah, make them whatever color.
2: Yeah, and 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 I think that that's that fine line between you know for a lot of people there's there's people that are really like, this is fun, and I like this, and I buy the ones that I like. And then there's a lot of people that, a lot of ty- types of collectors where they're just very much like, "If I'm going to buy the line, then I need to have everything, and then you're just forcing me to buy stuff that I don't want. And it's like, I'm not trying to force you to buy anything, actually. I'm hoping you'll buy stuff, but I'm not trying to force you into anything. I'm just trying to make these toys as fun as humanly possible, and it's okay to not buy everything which is hard for all of us to to yeah to do
0: <laughs> so speaking of one of the more fun properties you guys have um teenage mutant ninja turtles have been a massive hit um, and we recently saw an update on the thundercats thunder tank
2: yep it's on um, the water it should be been coming into the warehouse heard- actually
0: oh cool sweet um it's been a while since we've heard anything about the party van How's that coming along?
2: Uh, Party van, a.k.a. turtle wagon, a.k.a. turtle van, a.k.a. everybody calls it something different. Uh, It's coming along well. Um, One of the things that we ran into with, you know, we got it done. It was tooled and it's the same thickness as all of our other vehicles, the walls, which usually, you know, they're really, really heavy. I don't know if you guys have held snake mountain or not uh, or anything.
1: I've only seen it in person. I haven't gotten, I did not get to handle it.
2: Well, when you get to handle the thunder tank is ridiculously heavy. And so the wall thickness is just as thick on turtle van. But what we ran into was with turtle van, you've got the windshield, then you have the operable doors, then you have all the windows down the back. So, actually then there's not that many points of connection between the roof and the body of the van. So even though we've got these really thick walls, there's still some torsion to it, meaning it it turns and it can twist a little bit and it doesn't feel, doesn't have that heft the same way that, um, the Thunder Tank has. So we actually went in and started going back and retooling all the sidewalls inside the van to make them even thicker than normal so that when you get it it has that same solidity that even though it is exactly the same mathematically because of those how thin those runners are between like the windows and the door frame and stuff like that that it feels the same even though it's technically not the same so it's very close we've got uh updated test shots back from the new molds but it just it's it's very close but uh i would say it's it's not going to ship until uh just after chinese new year oh, okay. okay okay like normally it would be ready to go already i mean i, I mean if you've seen other videos we've had test shots forever but we had to go back and remill all the uh uh, mold. So if you imagine they come together and there's a space this big, we're milling them out to have a space bit this big, but then we have to change all the connections mm. to every other part that it attaches to. So it's a pain in the ass, but I'm doing it for you. <laughs> Cause I, that's the thing. It's like, if you, if you get it in your hands, especially because the thunder tank is so massive, if you get it in your hands and it doesn't live up to what you had in your brain, uh, you know, I'm like, you'll never order from us again if you feel let down at that price. It's got to be like, holy fuck.
1: And, and especially, you know, like today, right? You know, expectations, I feel like, are, are very high. There's lots of mm-hmm. expectations.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure.
2: They're, they're uh, whether realistic or not, there are lots of expectations. <laughs> and there are even more opinions about those expectations.
1: Opinions. We all got them. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But as long Um, as we remember that they're ours and not everyone's, then we're okay.
1: Yes. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsors. This segment is brought to you by our friends at Chubsy Wubsy Toys. A traditional mom-and-pop toy store in Little Falls, New Jersey, Chubsy-Wubsy Toys brings you the best new toys from the brands you love without the hassle of pounding the pavement, searching for them at larger retail stores. Visit them in person at 106 Main Street in Little Falls, New Jersey, or online at chubsywubsy.com. That's C-H-U-B-Z-Z-Y-W-U-B-Z-Z-Y.com. And tell them Adventures in Collecting sent you.
2: Pop into a new career with CGC, the world leader in pop culture collectibles grading. CGC is seeking world-class Funko Pop experts to lead a new division dedicated to authenticating and grading collectible toys. This is an incredible opportunity to help build a new grading service in a hot collectibles category. Think you can play the part? Apply today at cgcgrading.com forward slash careers. That's cgcgrading.com forward slash careers.
0: Face it, shaker bottles suck. Your shakes always come out clumpy and they're a pain to clean. You're right Dave,
1: that's why I decided to ditch my shaker bottle for good and get myself a BlendJet 2 portable blender. It makes perfectly blended shakes in just 20 seconds.
0: BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease.
1: BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for over 15 blends and recharges quickly via USB-C.
0: Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go.
1: With an array of colors, patterns, or even Disney-inspired designs to choose from, show off your personality while you're blending up something delicious on the go.
0: What are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code AIC12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. So Eric, I ran to the store today and I was doing that power walking thing to the toy aisle. The guy next to me was too. And guess what happened?
1: You were both headed for the same figure, weren't you?
0: Yep, but I got there first.
1: Now that's a close shave.
0: You know what else is? A nice trim thanks to this show's sponsor, Manscaped.
1: Dang right, Dave. And that's the kind of close shave I can get behind. And you all should too. I just use the Mower 4.0 with its cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawn Mower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight if you need a more precise shave.
0: And if you thought that was good, you can take your grooming game even further. You can take it to the next level. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer.
1: And don't forget about their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. They'll change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, guys. Your balls will thank you.
0: Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. Get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code AIC at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls.
1: That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with code AIC. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.
0: And now back to the show. Um, so, you know, speaking of stuff that I've, I've absolutely loved, um, we've seen legends like Andre, the giant modern stars from new Japan pro wrestling, the major wrestling figure podcast and the good brothers, um, put up by super seven. What's the future of pro wrestling in the ultimates and in reaction,
2: um, in ultimates, um, working on some stuff with Matt and Brian, um, there's a couple other things that we want to do. I um, mean, ultimates in wrestling have been have been tricky. I think in general, if you look at the wrestling collecting market right now, there is so much stuff being made by so many companies. Uh, they, they, it's not. It's gone from being like the golden days to almost like um, flash flood of wrestling product. And so, like I said, there's so much stuff out there that I think that, you know, we're just going to pace ourselves and take it easy. I'm not trying to compete with Jazzwares or Mattel. I don't want to be competing with everybody. You know, we just want to make some cool, fun stuff. But if all these other companies are also trying to make a million things at once, there's only so many dollars to go around. So, We're just going to be picky and choosy and do a few things here and a few things there. Um, There's a lot of stuff we've talked about doing that we just need to kind of final on, Uh, you know, wave three of NJPW never came out, but all those guys, you know, we've talked to three of the four guys and they're interested in doing it outside of NJPW. It just means it can't come with a Bullet Club shirt. Cause they were all, it was all bullet club stuff. Um, so that stuff could still happen. Tama Tonga, Tonga, Loa, you know, um, you know, Matt and Brian are super fun. We've got some, some fun stuff. Matt's got a, the most ridiculous idea for a costume ever. It's amazing. Uh,
1: <laughs> this is not surprising. That sounds about
2: right. Uh, he came <laughs> this, up this with track. this idea for this <laughs> costume and I was just like, I, I got to hand it to you, Matt. I was, I was really ready to, be like, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess we'll do, you know. And I was like, this is really awesome. Like, we can't get to it till here. Can you shelve it till then? He was like, I got to think about that, you know. But uh, <laughs> he has this costume idea where even for me, I was just like, that that one? That one's some next level. That Did- one's the next level.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure, he, you know, he he's keeping uh, TTD, uh, you know, busy with all those designs too, with all <laughs> – all those costume designs.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's it's crazy. And and they're the nicest guys. They're the nicest guys. I don't know if you guys have We we've actually had
1: Matt on the show before. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he really is super nice guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Con- contrary to his uh current image. Um Hey, he he's is,
1: not a heel. He's not a heel.
2: <laughs> he's just
1: Matt. He's the deathmatch king.
2: <laughs> he is the deathmatch yeah. king. Um no, they there, and, you know, that's part of it too, is like we want to keep making stuff with the people that we're friends with. And we're friends with Matt and Brian now, so why would we not try to continue to make stuff with them? You asked about reaction in wrestling. And we've had a long, 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 years-long running internal debate here on whether or not the wrestling collector would buy reaction figures of wrestling. Simply because there is no historical precedent for it, and most of the people collecting wrestling started collecting wrestling with uh, Mattel. And so they are used to a certain size and a certain level of articulation. Would a wrestling collector still be interested in a three and three quarter figure of their favorite wrestling stars or not? And we go back and forth because obviously we're biased internally. So we think everybody will like a three and three quarter of anything, but I, you know, I I really sort of towed the line that I don't think that the wrestling. I think there will be a small group of wrestling collectors, but for the most part, the wrestling collectors would be that's neat. Don't need it.
1: See, I think, and
0: and we've actually it's, talked about it's this. Very pe- tough. Yeah, yeah. We, we've
1: talked about this before too. But I think we're at this point, and it, it might be you know our age, you know, but there's so much crossover and and again like like i was saying before with the milo figure like i didn't know i needed that figure until i saw that it existed and then Mm -hmm. the same thing with when when you guys put out the andre the giant one it was like huh wait a second wrestling figure Mm -hmm. in the style of like a a kenner star wars figure this is kind of awesome and then you get it and he's got the beer can and everything and you're like all right you know to the Instagram and you start looking and you're looking at some of these customs that people are doing. And there's like a stone cold Steve Austin custom, you know, counter figure that, that, uh, that somebody was making. It's like, wow, this thing is really cool. Um, and then there were the Lucha
0: ones, which is yeah. like a whole other,
2: well, the Lucha ones one. was, I, I felt like we were like five years too early to the party with that one. Yep. Like, cause
0: hundred
1: percent, hundred percent.
2: And, you know, and, and the thing, thing, too, when we did those, I was like, we, we got to get Mill and we got to get Santo and we got to get Blue Demon. And they were like, no one believes that you're real. No one believes that you're <laughs> going to send the checks, which we did. But the problem that we ran into is that, you know, we had like that small group of diehard guys that immediately got it. But it never really moved up even to like a third place, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, for me, it was like, we got to have them in the suits come on, they got to be outside of the ring. That's the best part. Like he's fucking walking with his wife out to dinner and he's in a suit with the mask on. Mm -hmm. Like This is the most banana. This is the part that took Lucha Libre to the next level was them outside the ring. Unfortunately, everybody else and their grandmother does not feel that way the same way about it that I do, where it's like, I want to see, you know, blue demon in a turtleneck, like, (laughs) you know,
0: yeah, see, that's that's where you're getting into the Santo movies too. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I could, the so, card
1: art, it just it would, yeah, no, it was I'm, it, it yeah. was a
2: phenomenal line that I, like I said, I think we were five years too early, and I think I think everybody missed it and no one saw it.
1: And and I think that's part of the part of the reason why, like, right? So, so you have you have your your LJN format, you have your your Retro Hasbro WWF format and then kind of from there you start to get into the more modern things and I think because there isn't a precedent for it but there is such a precedent for everything else being like everything is getting retroized like right. you know see, Indiana see, Jones the- is coming back and you know we're getting they're, they're doing the, the, the retro figures we're getting retro Star Wars figures of new characters like there there is a retro line for just about everything.
0: In that form, and with, if you think about it, like Eric's age is grown up, grew up on Jacks. That's five points of articulation. Yep.
2: Yeah, but but it's it's also a slightly different scale.
0: Yeah, it's just
1: big. But I mean, the the majority uh, of the figures that I collected, you know, as a kid, were those three and three quarter to four inch tall counter (laughs) figures. You know, whether it was Batman, whether it was Star Wars, you know, like that's the bulk of my, my collection.
2: Yeah, I, I always, Star Wars. when I think For about me. the reaction level of wrestling and I oversimplify it, I go, if, if, because reaction, you know, based on our production numbers, they're, they're expensive. Comparatively speaking, I was like, is that guy walking in and I'm making a grand assumption that it would even make it to the peg, which was uh-huh, probably not. Um, but if it was on shelf at Walmart is that guy coming in there to buy wrestling you know, Mattel figures? Is that guy going to buy my figure at $20 when he can buy this other figure at $19.99? That's twice the size with twice the articulation. And while I think it's cool, I've been very gun-shy about the fact that I don't think that that guy's going to cross over in any meaningful way. I think there'll be a small group of people that absolutely love it because they grew up on it. But I've been very... Pessimistic. I don't know that that we could get enough people to cross over to really make it worth our time. And I, and I don't want it to be about dollars, but it it's about not losing our ass,
1: mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I think too, so, it's about the right talent. You know, it's about yeah, like it's, it's the, right guy. the
2: right the right- Oh no there 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 was there was there was talk at one point of some some crazy options, and I was just like, how much of a guarantee are they going to want? to get that, like get, get what you want from the eighties. And it's like, I don't think we can sell the number it would take to get us to the royalty threshold that would be required to do it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys, you guys are, you know, seem to be cranking out those, those, uh, major league sports figures, you know? And I mean, some of those guys must command quite a,
2: No, that's all with the leagues, though. That's all the, yeah. It's all league. I was going to say, that's the the
1: union. Yeah, that wouldn't be on an individual You
2: license it from the union, and you have to make a certain amount of players, and then the money gets divided evenly across all players. So there's no, no. That's that's the only way I'm getting LeBron. Are you kidding? I'm not signing a licensing deal for LeBron.
1: So, speaking of LeBron. (laughs) The LeBron, the LeBron of New Jersey,
2: <laughs> the LeBron of New Jersey,
1: Glenn LeBron, LeBron of New Jersey, punk rock, Glenn Danzig. <laughs> uh, yes, you know, as as two guys who you know grew up in New Jersey, you know, listening to punk rock and and you know, listening to the Misfits. You, you and I got a chance to chat a little bit about it at New York Comic Con uh, this this past uh, or last year, um, and uh, you mentioned that there was some more stuff coming from the Misfits. Uh, is. Can can you tell us a little bit more about it? Do you have any any more updates you can share?
2: Um. Yes, and I, I can share some things, but I can't be specific because just all of them will not want it talked about until the product is ready to show. But we do have a whole, a bunch of new sculpts and new characters. I say new characters, meaning new individuals. Uh, in, in a new format. Um, so, uh, the obvious thing is, you know, Glenn himself, we've been working with Glenn for a number of years to get his figure right. Um, deservedly so he's very particular. That's why he's been successful. So getting it to the point where he was happy with it took some time and, which is completely valid. And, uh, you know, we working with Jerry, working with, uh, the rest of the Misfits team with Cafiera and everybody. And so there's some cool stuff in the works. And I think when it comes out, I think people will be very, very excited. Um, That said, you know, as people that have bought ultimates from us know, it takes a year to make something. So we're, we, we've got stuff in motion, but it won't come out till this fall.
1: Okay. So cool.
2: It's a little ways away, but you're going to, some of those things you've been asking about for the last three or four years, they're finally going to show up.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs>
2: nice. <laughs> there, there's some obvious holes in this puzzle. Like, you're mm. like I, I can clearly see the pieces that I need to make this image whole. <laughs> it's like, yes, we are aware. Awesome. <laughs>
0: um. So one of the biggest questions that most people have surrounding super seven is of course, cost of figures, Yep. Um, especially on the made to order ultimates. Yep. Um, What, what goes into the pricing strategy and the made to order strategy to get these figures made and get them off the ground?
2: I I think, you know, once again, as we sort of touched on earlier, I think for everybody involved, you can, as, as the person that is actually doing this, Trust me when I say there are far less things made than you think are being made. So, um, the biggest hurdle quite honestly is overcoming the cost of tooling. Uh, so that's the first part. Like, uh, the cost of tooling for these figures is, is high. There's a lot of parts. There are a lot of big pieces. And so you've got a lot of tooling. Um, like if we we're going to use some general numbers, if you will. If tooling costs fifty thousand dollars for a single figure, and the sculpt costs five thousand, the output to make the gypsums cost another five thousand, spray masks cost you another five thousand. that's sixty five thousand dollars, right? So if you only make 10,000 figures, which is actually a pretty big run. So let's cut that down, say it's 5,000 figures. That means before we get started, it's what? $11.50, just for tooling gypsum sculpt and paint masks. Then you've gotta pay to actually make the plastic, then you gotta paint the plastic, then you gotta pay for the box, the package then you got to pay to put it on a boat ship it all the way over here so you start adding it all up like same thing you know these figures you know what if it costs 15 dollars you know factory doesn't want to make five thousand. they want to make fifty thousand. they want to take that hasbro order they don't want to take my order so it might cost 15 20 to make a figure uh, by the time you roll in packaging and everything else so by the time it shows up, it's like they're expensive. Plus, as most people know, licensing, you have minimum guarantees, plus it's 15%. So if I'm selling it to you at 55, I am paying the licensor 775. 15% on top of what I've already. Is that right? 775 or is it eight and a quarter? Well, 550 plus 275. There we go. It's eight and a quarter. So eight and a quarter is going to the licensor. If it's, you know, five thousand pieces, my sixty-five thousand dollars, whatever we said it was, that was eleven fifty. So it that's 1975 before we before we talk about plastic, before we talk about packaging, before I talk about shipping. So when these figures start landing over here, we'll just say they start landing at $30 or $35. Finished. You know, and people are like, why are they 55 bucks? It's like, that's why they're 55 bucks. And because, you know, we're not making a, a a gazillion of them. And I think that, you know, there will be people that says, well, then how come I can get a Star Wars figure on the peg right next to it or a Hasbro figure for $19.99? I'm like, because they sold, they made 200,000 of that figure, 100,000, because they're not just selling to you as an adult, they're selling to kids. Like if I was selling to kids, yeah, I might be, you know, I wouldn't be making 5,000 or something. I'd be making hundreds of thousands. Then all of a sudden you go from that amortization of tooling. If I spent $65,000 in tooling, but I made 100,000 figures, it's 65 cents a figure. You know, it's it just, it disappears. So, um, that's the main thing is like, I'm selling to adult collectors and there are not that many of you. <laughs> um, the other thing is that we're making There are it literally rent. dozens of us, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, everybody I know would buy this. Great. How many? I got 18, <laughs> you know, um, I think that's part of it. I think, you know, these are not apples to apples comparison, even for when I'm talking about something like GI Joe. So the GI Joe reaction figure is probably the thing that we've made. We make the most quantity on. And even in then, you know, it's only in, I think, 900 targets across the country, Mm -hmm. even though there are what 2000, 2200 targets. Oh, really?
1: I interesting. I didn't know that. I, yeah. f- I figured they would have been at every, at every target.
2: Oh no, 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 no. There's, there's stuff that only goes to 200 targets. There's stuff huh. that goes to 400 targets. Hmm. They, they have all sorts of strata and everything. So we're on the boys action shelf in like 900 targets and people will be like, yeah, you're in target. I'm like 900 targets. And you, you go in there and it's, here's the four figures, Cobra. Here's the four figures, Joe. That means target ordered 900 of each figure. Like it's not changing the dynamic of what we're doing immensely, you know. Uh, so I think there's just you know a core difference, and then you know not without talking about you know somebody will use another company as a comparison point to what we're doing, and I would say that then you get into some of the stuff that happens in in volume, some of the stuff that happens in packaging, some of the stuff that comes in the amount of accessories and paint detailing. And the materials used. I mean, we go out of our way to use uh, really ridiculous kinds of plastics uh, in the joints so that, you know, they don't freeze up or snap, you know? Uh, I don't know if you guys have had that before where, you know, it's plastic on plaques. So these are friction fits, but we'll pay for a much more expensive, different kind of plastic to use just in those joints that, uh you know you have to do a separate dye lot to make sure it matches cuz none of the plastics are colored the same even with the same thing but it's like so that 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 slide happens better like i and and i i don't want to in any way shape or form be derogatory about anybody else because the other companies making stuff out there are making wonderful stuff and they're really great people like we this is not a us versus them scenario it's just that we this is the way we make figures and it costs more to make it this way like if we did a few things differently we could bring the price down but i want if i'm going to pay this much i might as well pay for the whole ball of wax and make it as perfect as i can so when you get it you're like oh man this thing's awesome you don't hear any reports and this makes it sound like i'm talking shit about somebody i'm not you know, you don't hear any reports about our figures breaking. And if you do, I'm going to replace it because it shouldn't. That, means, that meant it was a factory error. Like, they don't break. They don't do that. They just function because that's the way they're designed to to work. Um, so, you know, it, it's that sort of thing where, you know, it, it, it's a hard sort of weird line on pricing. And if we use reaction as a perfect example, everybody's like, This shit should be $7.99 at Target. I'm like, fucking five POA Star Wars figures haven't been $7.99 at Target in 15 years. (laughs) That's just what you remember the price. Yeah. You know, the lowest you're going to find is $12.99. Most of the time they're $13.99, sometimes $15.99. Like, we're not that, we're a couple dollars more than these people. We're not that much. But it's your memory of what this is. And then, you know, you get in the same thing. You're like, these are being made by people in China making pennies. It's like no one in China is making pennies. Because if everybody was making pennies in China, like all of us would be making millions and we're not. Like it's why people are trying to move out of China, not just because of the geopolitical reasons, but because it's too expensive to manufacture in China now. Like China is going – has gone through its industrial revolution. No one wants to work at a factory anymore. They want an office job. Like it's no different than Detroit did 50 years ago. Like,
1: mm-hmm. and and one of the things I, I I have to say, you know, your your reputation precedes you. Of, you know, being transparent, transparency, and you know, just appreciate the detail on the answer. I mean, it's it, thank you.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I. Everyone here, it's like, if I could sell those figures for $29.99, don't you think I would? I'd sell a shitload more of them. It'd make my life a whole lot easier. <laughs> but I can't. Yeah. This is what it costs for me yeah. to make it this way. And I understand that not everyone wants to agree with my choices or that it makes my figures too expensive for some people which, you know, I don't want to be snotty about it and I don't want to be rude. I want to be empathetic to that. But at the same time, I only get to make this figure once. So I want to make sure it lives up to my expectations. And unfortunately, my expectations are a little expensive.
1: This next segment is our Q&A segment. So, uh, you know, we, 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 let our followers know that you were coming on the podcast and collected some questions for you from our followers. Uh, if, if you are listening to this for the, for the first time, uh, welcome to adventures in collecting, make sure you're following us on Instagram at AIC underscore podcast, uh, for your chance to ask a question when we do have a guest. So, uh, Dave, would you like to start Brian off with the first of our Q and a questions?
0: Yes. Um, from one Dave to another, best friend of the pod Dave at Creepy NJ asks, when can we get some more Mummy Boy toys?
2: Oh, that is a loaded, loaded, loaded question. All right. So hold on. I got to limber up for this one. All right, everybody. <laughs> Here we go. Um, all right. So uh, we started making toys in Japan, Japanese vinyl. For those of you listening that are not, Uh, knee-deep into the nerdy, nerdy well of Japanese vinyl. Um, Japanese vinyl is very different from low-temperature Chinese vinyl. Not saying that in a China versus Japan state, just in a manufacturing state. So the manufacturing state that Japanese vinyl is used and made in, going back to the 60s, is basically the exact same stuff almost that your vinyl records are made out of. Where the stuff you would get, you know, in China is a, is a much different sort of beast. So it's a really high temperature, high curing process that is very difficult to use. And the material goes bad in about four days after it's made. So you have to make material, use it immediately and get rid of it. Um, blah, 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 blah. There's a host of things that I could go into about the quality of the material that if you hold them side by side, you'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. Long story short is getting toys manufactured in Japan is also a very difficult thing to do, uh, especially if you are not Japanese. So obviously we are not Japanese, but we were the first Americans over making toys in Japan Uh, because we were nerds. We went and found the factories that made the Marathon and Bullmark figures. Uh, We found some of the old sculptors and did interviews with them and... Started working with Japanese companies making figures for their their companies, then eventually making our own. So we work with the largest and original and best manufacturer in Japan. Um, I can't use their name because somebody else say it's talking shit. Um, in as much, I can go to the factory. I can talk to them. I can tell them everything I want. It's all fine but I still cannot place an order directly with the factory. I have to give my order to a Japanese intermediary and that Japanese intermediary can place the order with the factory because they do not accept foreign orders. It's still Japan, you know, Japan, Japan thinks highly of Japanese. So in as much, you know, for many, 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 many years, we made figures on a regular basis because it was not super in vogue to do so, especially Japanese vinyl. It was expensive and everything else like that. In the last couple of years, several other manufacturers have really gotten back into making vinyl in Japan again, which means that my product gets bumped because I am not Japanese. Japanese customers come first. And Because Japan works in such a pecking order referential way, I cannot move to another factory because those factories know that I work with this other factory. And to take a client from them would be rude and they would risk punishment by this bigger company. And that bigger company often outsources to them. So I am trapped. All my molds and tools are sitting at... The best factory with the best craftsmen in Japan, but I cannot get product out. I have had product ordered now for a couple of years that I have not been able. To. Wow! So um, hmm. that is the reason why. I mean, I've got new sculpts that haven't come out that are sitting at the factory, um, but you know, there's a reality to doing business in Japan, and you know, uh, that's one of them. Uh, that's why we ended up making the, the supersized mummy boy in China so that we could get a mummy boy back out there. Um, we've had a lot of discussions back and forth about doing smaller scale in China, but it's been very, very difficult for me to acquiesce to that because I want to make the versions like I've made before. Like that's why you can't get clear vinyl out of China.
0: Mm-hmm. You can
2: only get clear clears out of Japan. Uh, it's like, but that means I can't make, you know, clear purple glitter and I can't do this and I can't do that. And the Chinese factories don't want to make 200 at a time. Cause that's the reality. When you're talking about a vinyl figure that now, what used to cost $50 is now $85 at $85 a pop. You know, there's only so many people willing to buy it. Twenty nine ninety nine. That's a whole different story. But you know, then then all of a sudden you've got to be making in China volume. So there's a catch twenty two. So I uh, I would love to be making more, mommy boys. Um, he's my baby. <laughs> I'll miss him. Aww. But, uh, you know, one of these days it'll sort itself out. You know. Uh, I wish I had a better answer than than that, but one of these days it'll sort itself out. Mummy Boy, Bat Boy, all of them.
1: All right. So our next question comes from at Tim Popkid, And uh, Tim asks, is there any update on Usagi Yojimbo coming to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ultimates line?
2: Uh, as many people know, we... <laughs> uh, We announced at one point Usagi Yojimbo. Um, We had a deal memo back and forth with Stan Sakai. And for whatever reason or another, um, I'm not sure what it was. It didn't get signed expeditiously. I think it got, I thought we thought it was done and it wasn't done. I was on a podcast with a, a guy and you know, I said Yusagi Yojimbo was coming and like the next day we got a thing from Stan Sky saying, hey, that was four months ago and you never signed the agreement. So there's nothing in place. And um, we're talking to somebody else now. And so uh, we currently do not have Yusagi Yojimbo. We have talked to Stan again, but because somebody else is making Yusagi Yojimbo right now in a similar style to ours, it doesn't really make sense to do right now. Uh, I think there could be a different point of view that we would do with it, but it doesn't make sense to be close to each other. So we're just waiting.
1: So our last question here in Q and a, uh, comes from friend of the pod at Ryan Ting from the, uh, the Marvel legends team.
2: Oh, good dude. Great dude.
1: And, uh, this is, this is the eternal question here. Um, figures on a blister card. If you could mm-hmm. only have them one way, would you let them breathe, or would you keep them mint on card?
2: I would cut the blister off with an exacto knife so I could keep the card and the figure. Yes. Because you want to be able to move the arms. That was always the always hardest part about collecting vintage carded figures. It was like, you know, uh, I remember asking, God, you were talking about 2008 or so? I was on a thing. And I asked at the, it was a thing about the super Shogun Stormtrooper, And after it was all said and done, I was like, if anybody has a blue stars, let me know. I'm looking for one. And I got a thing like a couple of days later, it says, okay, I've got a carded one for sale. And I was like, I don't want a carded one. I got to be able to move the arms at the, you know, I got to be able to, to touch the skirt of this guy. Like I, 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 it was a financial mistake not to buy the carded one uh, uh but yeah, I waited till I got a loose one later because i I want to be able to
1: touch the toy yeah i'm 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 all I'm all in on on camp, let it breathe, and I actually do the same thing i get I get a little. I get a little uh, razor and I razor off the bubble and I got a nice little stack of reaction cards in a, in I a mean, box That's somewhere. the way it was
2: when you were a kid too. You kept the cards because they were they were as much of, they were part of the experience too. And I think that that's, that's, in, that's part of the reason we spend so much time on the packaging on our figures is it is just as much of it is in the packaging as is in the toy just because I want you to open it doesn't mean that I'm going to be dismissive of the packaging. And I think that's, what's lacking in most modern figures is that the packaging is just style guide. They all look the same. It's like, fuck that. That sucks. Like I want a picture of Boba Fett, like putting the warning labels on fire and you know, (laughs) whatever. So, you know, um, so if I had to, yeah, that way I could keep the card backs and have the figures. But uh, obviously, we put an immense amount of love and detail into the packaging, so that you know half of the people out there attempted to keep one sealed and then open one.
1: So I'm, I'm going to put a I'm going to piggyback on this question. I'm going to and I'm going to ask another here. Um, you know, we 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 have talked exclusively about the actual figures all episode um but we haven't really talked about you know about the the packaging design and you know you guys both in the world of reaction and and in ultimates have some really unique packaging what's what's what are some of the things that have gone into kind of you know obviously with with the the kenner inspired card backs for the reaction figures but really the ultimates with that unique sleeve and you know what what goes into the packaging design
2: I, you know, th- there's a, a couple things. So, um, I realized that most people listening know that I make toys, but prior to this, hard to believe I was a graphic designer. Ah, huzzah. Uh that, that was my job. I did, uh, I did all sorts. I worked at fossil watches. I was employee number seven in their art department. And then I went to Nike for five years. Um, I did LeBron's first logo. I did Major League Soccer inaugural logo. Um, worked on a bunch of stuff. Then I built Nike Towns. Uh, hmm. And then I opened my design studio in San Francisco. Super 7 was a, my hobby in my downtime. Um, but uh, the art of printing has always been one of those things that I've been super into. Die cuts, foil stamps, everything else. Like what are those things that take this from being crappy to awesome? Um, uh, And and the thing that we always talk about within the design studio world, if you will, is it costs no more to print good design as it does to print crappy design. It's still ink on paper in that regard. So make sure it's beautiful make sure it makes sense. Um, so within that, obviously I have a lot of history within printing. So, you know, in, in high school, I was in a print class. I worked at a print shop for a little while. I spent a lot of time really, you know, pre-computers knowing how to make things print, how to make things work. Uh, what, works on press what doesn't what are those techniques i mean quite honestly as much as anybody on here will if you researched it you would learn this but it's not obvious to everybody that foil stamping is actually cheaper than printing hmm. so foil stamping you foil stamp something people go "This is fancy shit right here <laughs> yo this is that good shit you know it's that foil stamp shit it's yeah like, like that maria actually, card back huh
1: like that maria card back from uh uh, Metropolis. But, but
2: the, the addition of foil to that card is actually cheaper than running it through the press a second time to get a fifth color. No shit. Because there you don't do print time. You, there's no press time. So the money in getting something printed is getting the printer up and running. The time it takes, the amount of paper and waste that it takes to get the printer up to speed, warmed up, all the ink densities correct and getting the paper through by the time you're ready to actually print you're actually you'll spend six eight hours getting it ready to print getting all the colors balanced and looking right you'll spend five minutes printing the actual thing just done that giant machine getting that up and running that's the expensive part the actual printing ink on the paper is nothing when you're talking about foil stamp, it's literally, you can look it up online. It's this, literally these old machines and no one listening can see my hands doing And it's literally just this old machine with a foil ribbon. You put the paper in, it clamps it shut and foil stamps it on with heat. And then you take out the paper, move it in. There's no machine work to get it up and running. Once you pay for the die plate, that's it. Choop, choop, choop. Nothing more. So, Adding foils, adding die cuts, those kind of things. Yes, it is an additional cost, but as an as a add in cost, it's not exponentially higher. So we go into all those projects. Like yes, there's a, a basic six by nine card back that this is the format that we use. But then any time we diverge from sort of what is going on, Peg. It's like now all of a sudden we can bring in die cuts, we can bring in foils, we can bring in paper stock changes, we can all those things to really heighten the experience of it all, make it feel special. And then just secondly, like the packaging is part of the emotional experience. I mean, that's really part of it. Like when you see that figure on the peg as you turn, you know, turn into the aisle, if you will, like, what you're seeing is the package. The package is the first thing that makes your heart go flutter before you see the toy. So half of my job is to make your heart go flutter. Like, oh my God, look at this packaging. Oh my God, it's, it's exactly how I imagined it would be. Yeah, that's my job.
1: Well, I, I, I love the, the, uh, the feeling of, because you know, you're not finding Ultimates at, at, a, at a store yet. Um, you know, <laughs> but you know, you're, you're, when you get them in the mail, when you, when you open that initial, initial box and then you get the, the, I, cause I, I actually just, again, people can't see it, but I just, I just opened my Mickey and, uh, oh. I was, I was impressed with the, I, I love the packaging, the, the, like the mm-hmm. Fantasia starry night situation going on step. It's a, it's a, it's a good experience.
0: It's a good unboxing yeah, experience. Lord, the first time I opened that original Andre ultimate. I was, it was like, I was like, this is, I immediately put everything back together. I was like, I'm keeping this. (laughs)
2: Yeah. That, well, but that same thing. Like, you're like, oh, it's cool box. That's really fun. You slide it up, and it's the die cut ropes around him, Mm -hmm. sort of in direct proportion for where he's standing and everything. You're like, oh, they thought about that. That's fun. That's cool. Like this makes me, this makes me happy
1: or the belt but, on 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 uh, Matt's figure yeah the, or and Brian's figure had yeah, the, the belts
2: <laughs> I I can't remember if that was one of my design teams idea or if that was Matt and Brian's idea it may have been Matt and Brian's idea to be honest they were like can we put the belt on it and I was like yeah actually yes we can that would be <laughs> awesome so it's like it's the belt over the slip cover over the box so like if you're like Here's the box that shows up in the mail. Then there's the shipper box. Then there's the plastic bag. Then there's the belt. Then there's the sleeve. Then there's the box. Then there's the tray. Then there's the figure. (laughs) It might actually be almost wasteful. And then there's the figures.
1: (laughs) And then then their figures have figures in there. there. Yes.
2: And their figures have figures. It's like a powers of 10 thing.
1: It is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that brings us to the end of our Q and a section. Uh, thanks again Should to everybody. Should I be insulted that we only three
2: it. people bothered to ask questions? No, we,
1: we, we got, we got more than three, but, uh, we, we've, they were, we pre-vetted them. We picked the best. And all
2: three. the rest of them were, you know, you know, can you give me a refund? When are you going to come up? When will you jump off a bridge? <laughs>
1: well, no, we get, we get, and we've said this before on on the show, but most of the questions we get are like when are we getting this character when are are we getting this when does that come out
2: of which i cannot answer any of those questions
1: exactly exactly yeah um so 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 rather than than putting you in a position where you get to say i can't answer that we just skip those we just we just Mm -hmm. we we brush those aside so uh before we let you go though it is it is uh it is time for our final question so Dave, or,
0: or customary. Yes.
1: Would you like to fulfill your role as this podcast's James Lipton and ask our final question?
0: Well, yes, I would. Um. So, Brian, what is the your favorite and or strangest piece in your collection? It could be one of each, or it could be both.
2: Favorite piece in my collection, I would have to define then kinds of collections. So like there's a, there's a different thing in action figures than there is in Japanese toys than there is in records or whatever else. Um, If we're talking about classic vintage action figures, my favorite piece is farm boy Luke. uh, Because as a kid, I just loved that figure uh, I have a, a special affinity for Farm Boy Luke, Death Star Droid, Gonk Droid, and X-Wing Luke. Those four, as a kid, I had, and I just thought they were the coolest. Um, you know? Um, and Farm Boy Luke was always, you know, everybody else has Boba Fett or Stormtroopers or Darth Vader, but Farm Boy Luke, for whatever reason, that figure of the two, and I think it's because while I, I love the orange jumpsuit one there. Um can't really tell it's Luke. So that was my Luke. I uh when I I saw Star Wars once as a kid and it just melted my brain. And I was convinced I was gonna grow up to be Luke Skywalker. So that I, I it it wasn't so much a projection issue of just that that's that's the figure. And I remember, you know, as we talk about figures now, like all the little that sculpted so well all the little sort of drapes and pleats in the outfit itself and then all the, the banding and sort of on his boots and everything it's a, it's a beautifully done figure, beautifully done figure some would argue that it doesn't look like him but it, it didn't need to look like him it captured the essence of who Luke was and so uh, those are my favorite from emotionally in the action figure collecting uh, side. Um, but then it's, it's hard because then I contrast that immediately with the greatest figures ever made in action figures, which are the Tomy Tron figures. Those translucent Tomy Tron figures. Jolly Rancher Tron weapons. figures. Mm-hmm. They are the greatest action figures ever made on planet Earth. Hands down, no one can tell me what different. They are ungodly, and I I think that those are the most. They're they're just perfect. They're perfect in sculpt. They're perfect in manufacturing. The translucency and consistency across thicknesses and variables. It's just they're they're just next level, and they're they're astounding. And that movie was just as important to me as star Wars.
1: It would be really cool if there was a company that had like a license with Disney that made like three and three quarter inch retro style figures. That's, it would just be cool.
2: It would be cool. One of my all time favorite movies. I'm just going to, it's 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 up there for me too. It's number one is star Wars. Number two is Tron Empire. You know, it's three or four, or five, six, somewhere. Jedi's, I, fucking Ewoks. Who cares? <laughs> you know,
1: no, those those Tron figures are really special. Those, they're, 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 they're 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 very very special.
2: The the manufacturing involved in them that you don't understand as a kid, but is just next level. And yeah, they're they're astounding. So that's action figures, and then if I have a holy grail within that it's the canadian card back walking r2d2 one of these days i'll get one of those i uh, I, I didn't think about it in the last last hakes auction for which was good for everyone involved um <laughs> because i should not own that um but the canadian wind up r2d2 is just that card back is so awkward and amazing that's fucking incredible um all right I'm I'm going to keep going. So when we talk about Japanese toys, my favorite two are the the Marathon slash Bullmark standard size Godzilla. It is the Alpha and Omega for me for collecting Japanese toys. I think it's still the greatest thing ever. Uh, If you're a Japanese purist from Japan, you're like, yeah, Toho kind of sucks. We're into Ultraman and he came first anyway. So I don't really care, but that figure, I mean, we made a giant size figure with Marison back in like 2005 or 2006 of that figure, just because of the same thing. It was like, I hate the Bullmark giant size. I want this one in giant size. So we convinced Marathon to make a giant size of that sculpted mold. It's, it is the greatest Godzilla vinyl ever. And like I said, it looks absolutely nothing like him, uh, <laughs> which is why it's so amazing. Um, that though, the thing that really kicked off, the rest of my Japanese uh, toy collecting, and still my other favorite, and would follow on for a lot of people if you just Google it and look at it as weirdest, is the Bondi standard size Inazuman a, or Popey slash Bondi standard size. Inazuman. He's Popey in most cases. So we're going to go with Popey then for everybody. Um, Inazuman is blue, baby blue, covered in yellow lightning bolts. And he is actually a moth that shoots electricity. So he starts off as a regular dude. And when he goes to Henshin, aka Transform, he actually has to go into Man, which is a cocoon first. Then he Henshin's again and breaks out of his cocoon. And he is a Nazaman. And he's got these, you know, lightning tentacle moth things coming off his head. And he's covered in lightning bolts. And it's just one of those things where I saw it with no context. I've never seen any of these tokusatsu shows. And I was like, what the fuck is that thing? (laughs) I have, there is no frame of reference that I have that allows me an entry point to understanding what this is. And I, I need more of this in my life. (laughs) Like, how do I find out more? And that is the absolute beauty of Japanese Takasatsu series, the, the, the kaiju, if you will, world and everything else is that they just throw the fucking playbook out the window and they're like, what the fuck do we want to make? Like robot detective KGK, he's a robot, but if he puts on a trench coat and a hat, you don't know it's him, it's the secret detective. Oh shit, he took off his hat, it's the robot, we're fucked. And he fights, I mean, literally, he fights lockers that sprout legs. He fights chairs that sprout arms and fight him. Like, 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 what the, f- like, Barum won. Doruge gets mad at the end. He's not winning. So he starts ripping paces off his head and those turned into monsters. So he's fighting an eyeball with legs and a hand with legs and lips with legs. It, it's, like,
1: it's a fever dream. <laughs> it's all a fever dream and it's wonderful.
2: And it's amazing because it, when you – and that's what got me so into Japanese toys because then you say, okay, it's Fever Dream at the, on TV. When we go to toy, we throw the rule book out of the window again and go like, well, fuck it. What do we think will make a good toy of this that a kid will buy? Let's
0: make and it hot pink. And we don't panky. care
2: about if, whether or not it's accurate. We don't care about the colors. We don't care about anything else. We're just going to sculpt something that kind of resembles this thing. And they're bananas. They're absolutely bananas. But that was the thing. Like if you, if you think about Western science fiction, Star Wars, Tron, as we were talking about, any of it, even in Star Wars, you're talking about every alien in that cantina is still two arms, two legs. You know, they're still humanoid yeah. in nature. Yeah, maybe he's a hammerhead head, but there's still basic formulas. And the bad guy is black and the good guy has, you know, you know, white farm boy outfit. But they're all variations on a theme it's still very, very, you know, for lack of a better description, Western. And it's very literal in that regard. And then you go to Japan and Kanagon's a giant coin purse with arms and legs with a zipper mouth because the kid was greedy. And you're like, what the fuck is this? And And that was what was so cool about it was just like, you know... Canadoras, because I'm looking at Ultra Leo Canadoras, it's it's literally a pineapple with a head in the crotch and then a saw blade on top. (laughs) So somebody put that on paper, drew it up, held it up in a meeting, and the team went, yes, yeah, that's the one, that's the one, go get it. This is another joke I always make. If you think about somebody going to an American movie studio and said, okay, got an idea. Here's the movie. Here's the pitch. Giant radioactive lizard. And he's going to fight the concept of smog. And to win, he's going to rip the guy's eyeballs out. And somebody (laughs) went, fuck yeah, fun that. (laughs) That is the core difference between Japanese movies and TV, and American TVs and movie.
1: So, so growing up, uh, I had a a, a friend, a very good friend of mine, like when we were grammar school, kindergarten, middle school, all the way up through high school. Um, who was half Japanese and his uh his he had family that lived in Japan, and a lot of times he would bring stuff to like sleepovers that like would completely blow our minds as kids because he his cousins were were sending him. VHSs of things. He's like, you got to see this stuff. And I remember, like, <laughs> I remember seeing a lot of like the Power Rangers bad guys before they before they aired on TV in the US because they were from uh, Super Sentai. But yeah. I, I remember the first time we saw anything with Pudgy Pig, and it was like, that's a pig in a gladiator helmet that's eating with a everybody. Fork and a knife. <laughs> he's literally eating everybody. <laughs> yeah, with a giant like- fork and knife.
2: You're like, how did this get, did this, was there vetting involved in this or not? And like somebody along the line was like, no, this is the one. And they were right.
1: Yep. Yeah. And that introduced, you think about it, that ended up being the gateway for an entire generation of kids, um, Western audience kids into, you know, kaiju culture because they were seeing, you know, Power Rangers after school
2: yeah uh completely completely it was a game changer and I think for me, you know when we go back to this, it wasn't even like I didn't know any of these shows, so I didn't come to any of it with baggage, if you will, like I remember being in Japan once and talking to a, a very well established collector over there that was a a friend of mine, and I was needling him about condor man variations uh just going like, I know they made a talking vinyl, but did they make a missile firing vinyl? Uh, what about the standard size? There's this, the, you know, there's the, there's the seven inch one, but then there's the nine inch one, but they're not really true standards. And at a moment, he just stopped me. He was like, No one cares about Condor Man <laughs> because it was a dumb show to them. I don't know the show. I just look at the toy and the design of it, and I'm like, Condor Man kicks ass. You know, it's the equivalent of like I had a, a friend of mine uh, that's married to my friend, Dennis, who came over here and she was really, she was so hyped on Dukes of and She really wanted a boss hog figure. And I'm just like, it's fucking Dukes of Hazard, Like, no one cares. <laughs> but she's not coming to it with the baggage that I have. Yeah. She's not coming with the baggage. She's just coming to it and being like, this stereotype played out in this media with these figures is super interesting to me because it's crazy and bananas. If you really think about that show, General Lee, with you know, we're always running from the cops and we run away and we smash their car, but it's all okay. It's not like they drive to my house the next day because they know where I live and arrest me. <laughs> You know? And they're playing on all these crazy southern stereotypes, boss hog eating fried chicken in an all-white suit. Like Colonel Sanders didn't just walk in there by himself with a big cigar. And like, you know, it to us it was like, all right, it's fun but dumb. Yeah. To them, it's just like this is an amazing pastiche. And so it's the same thing for us going across looking at their shows and they're like, That show was dumb. And we're like, no, <laughs> Character designs are amazing. So you have these shows that Americans collect that drove the prices through the roof in Japan because you couldn't give it away in Japan until all the Americans started buying it. Like, there's a there's a guy called Leafman from Ninja Arashi. He's just basically made of leaves and he has the sword. And we would go to Japan and I'd buy every Leaf Man I found every year. And we sell them in the store. At first going to Japan and the you have to preface this with like vintage Japanese vinyl has always had sort of a hundred dollar floor. Like you got to have a hundred dollars to get in the game. So it was like I'd go there and they'd be a hundred. Next time I would go there, they'd be 125, but I'd buy two or three and they'd be sold before I even got to the back home. Then they were 150. Then they were 200. Then they were 300. And We stopped buying them at 300 because we're like, all right, this is stupid now. But now you can't touch them for under a thousand. You want to know why? Because there's none in fucking Japan because we bought like 40 of them (laughs) over the course of a decade, brought them all back to Americans and every American collector has one in their collection. And now all the Japanese guys are like, this stupid leaf man from Rainbow Man's the hardest, I mean, from um, Ninja Arashi's the hardest one to get. And you're like, that's because he's the best. It's,
1: it's Brian's fault, that's why.
2: <laughs> there, there's a couple of those where, you know, Tiger Seven's another example. Like, nobody in Japan gave two shits about Tiger Seven. And after a while, they're like, they started raising the prices because all the dumb Americans had come over here and buy this stupid Tiger Seven. Well now Tiger Seven's expensive as fuck, because no one has it. <laughs> but the Americans.
1: S-scarcity, scarcity, scarcity.
2: Yeah, I mean, it would be that same thing where it's like, I'm not thinking of the exact right example, but you know how like, if you would go backwards, you know, you'd have those things where Japanese would get really into vintage denim and they bought out all of America's vintage denim. They like searched the whole country, and bought it all up. Like you want $10,000 jeans, you got to go to Japan because they have it all. There's certain lines where of uncool Japanese toys where they was uncool over there because of the show. But Americans looking at it with completely different eyes drove the prices up through the roof because they bought it all up because it was the trash that the Japanese didn't want. And the Americans were like, give it all to me. I'll take it all right now.
1: So, so Brian, before we let you go, please tell everyone where can they find out the latest about super seven? Uh, where should they be following you on the internet? All that good stuff.
2: Um, Obviously on on the socials, yo. Uh <laughs> it's uh you know at Super Seven on Instagram. Uh I believe there is a Super Seven Facebook page. I don't go there, so I don't know. Uh I don't have I don't have time enough to manage my Instagram, much less Instagram and Facebook. Um I actually do think that supposedly there's a Twitter and a TikTok, but I, I am not aware of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say. The Instagram's a good Super7. one. Super seven dot com though is where you can get everything. If you want to buy stuff, Super 7com It's got all the latest right there for you. But yeah, I, I view the world social world through the tiny porthole of Instagram because that takes enough of my time already.
1: That's that's the good one anyway. The other ones are
0: Yeah. That's the true. other
1: ones are that's that's where that's where we call home too is Instagram. So we're we're with you on that. There's, there's the not as ones many are uh,
2: conspiracy theories on Instagram, <laughs> although they're there.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, they are. They are.
2: Well, they're, they're easier to filter out.
1: Well, listen, uh, this was incredible, Brian. Thank you so much yeah, for taking thank you so for much. taking the time to be with us. Uh, you know, and and you know, to tell us all about your collection, about what's going on with uh with with Super Seven, and uh, let's let's definitely do this again sometime.
2: Definitely. Uh as unfortunately anybody that's sitting here at an hour forty in has learned I am all too willing to hear myself talk. Which
1: is terrible. Well we're all we're all too willing to to give you that that platform. So there we there we go. We <laughs> wanna listen to you
0: talk.
2: Yeah, we wanna listen. Oh this is a sad, sad, uh sad state of affairs. As my daughter would say, this is what you call symbiotic relationship. <laughs>
1: Hey, (laughs) we, we, we are the, I was going to say, we are Venom. I don't know. I don't know how else to end. I I think symbiote. We'll just
2: let that slide. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We'll just let it, we'll
0: leave it there.
1: Dave, you want to send us home? Hi, everyone. Thank you, dear listener, for hanging out with us today. Subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen, and then tell your friends to do it. Thanks also to Joe Azari, the golden voice behind our intro. Our music is Game Boy Horror by the Zombie Dandies. Find more about them both on our show notes.
0: Follow us on social media at AIC underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Stop by and say hi. Show us your toy hauls and share your toy stories. Maybe we'll talk about it in a future
2: episode. Don't try this at home. Voidware prohibited, and some assembly required, each sold separately. Not a flying toy. Consult a physician if your toy run exceeds more than four hours.
0: This has been a non productive media presentation